Well, hope everybody is doing okay as we are now back in quarantine and I get to preach over, over the internet. Um, the world really is a mess right now. Uh, people are sick, people are frustrating, people are fighting, and of course, people are dying. Unfortunately, communication in this world has gotten so warped that we really can't talk openly to each other. There's no room for just open debate. As the masses see it, you either believe wholeheartedly what we believe or you will be eviscerated. That goes for both sides of any issue. The days of just talking things out seem to be dying more and more. I've been struggling a bit over the last few months over this because I see how angry people are and I'm not saying I'm not angry about the things that are going on but how people are displaying their anger to the point that they are turning on their friends and even on their own family. I mean, I have an aunt that unfollowed my brother on Facebook because of something that he posted was a meant to be a joke, but she thought offense about it, so she unfollowed them. Talking a little about brother against brother, right? We've seen that phrase somewhere before. The big question in all this is, are we, who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, displaying his character in the way we are acting? Bottom line, are we practicing what we are preaching? Today, I want to focus on one of the most important actions we can do to display God's character. And if you looked at the title, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who didn't see it, I'm talking about what it means to forgive. Forgive, such a seemingly innocuous word. Quite easy to say. In fact, you could say it with me. It's okay. People in the house, around your house won't think you're weird. Go ahead and say it. Forgive. But saying it's only part of it. Because to forgive or give forgiveness requires more than just saying the word. It requires an action. Action that is not very easy to do. In fact, we might even say we forgive, but in fact, we don't really mean it. But to God, to forgive is one of the most important things you need to do. So important, in fact, that he makes it part of his, part of his forgiveness of us. That's not me saying it. That's Jesus saying it. Jesus saying it in Matthew 16 14 through 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Does anyone else besides me have a problem with verse 15? Right? But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Doesn't that contradict what we hear all the time? God has already forgiven you even before you've asked. There's nothing you can do that God will not forgive. Isn't that what we hear? So how is it possible that there is nothing that God will not forgive when he says, if you don't forgive others, he won't forgive you? So there's something he won't forgive. But why won't he forgive this? This this must be something really important because this is actually the second time Jesus says this during this period. When was the first? What was he teaching right before he made this statement? He was teaching us how to pray, right? So what was right before this? It was the Lord's Prayer. Let's take a look at it. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day all daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Jesus said we must first forgive, we must forgive first before he forgives us. He put the very request into the prayer. I like the way Chuck Smith says about this. He says, now, it is interesting that in these various petitions that we make, that the petitions for forgiveness is predicated upon our forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And immediately there comes the question, is this then works? And does my forgiving another depend upon, or does God forgiving me depend upon my forgiving another? And if so, then is forgiveness dependent upon works? And so you have a naughty theological problem. Does God's forgiveness depend on our forgiveness? It certainly seems that way in Matthew 16, 14 through 15, right? It says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither your Father will forgive your trespasses. Paul says the same thing in Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Do you see the commandment there? You must forgive others. It says you must do it. It doesn't give you an option. Why is that? Why must I forgive? Verse 16 still tells us that, right? The Lord forgave you, you must forgive others. This still doesn't explain why God's forgiveness is dependent upon our forgiveness of others. Although we should do this, right, out of faith because we want to honor God by following his commandments. Jesus, of course, would say, O ye of little faith. But in order to help explain it, he gives us a parable. The parable of the unmerciful servant, which is Matthew 18, 23 through 35. Now again, this this is a long one, so bear with me as we read it, but let's take a look at it because this is very important. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, and who owed him a hundred denarii. And, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe me. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, but he refused. Then he went and drew him into prison until he would pay. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went out and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, it's really important to know the value of these debts, okay? 
The 10,000 talents were worth $16 million. And the 100 denarii was worth 25 bucks. So this man, who was just forgiven $16 million, and then he immediately tries to go out and collect 25 bucks. I mean, that's pretty bad. And look what happens. Verse 34, and in his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he was to pay his entire debt. That's not a pretty good plan if you want someone to pay you back who owes you 60 million bucks, right? But then he locks him up and tortures him until he'll pay. So how are they going to pay? Putting aside that, what just happened? The forgiveness was taken away. So in lies the problem. If I ask forgiveness, God says he will forgive. He says that, right? I mean, look at John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But these verses seem to indicate that forgiveness is conditional. And what's the condition? That I forgive anyone who has, had a, that has committed a sin against me. Does anybody else have a problem with that? I mean, does me forgiving some, what does me forgiving someone else have to do with the sin that I've committed and have sought forgiveness for? But according to these verses, everything. But that still doesn't answer the question of forgiveness being conditional. Maybe we need to talk, take a deeper dive in how these verses were translated. Now, as some people have, you know, we start going in and defining words becomes, a, becomes an issue, so bear with me. We want to talk about these things. So there's, there's three, three Greek words used to define forgiveness in the Bible. The verb aphemai and the noun counterpart aphias and charizomai. Let's look at aphemai. To set free, to let go, to release to discharge or to liberate. Aphias, release from bondage or imprisonment, forgiveness or pardon of sins, or simply letting them go. Let's look at charizomai. To do something pleasant or agreeable to one, to do a favor, to gratify. To show one's self-gracious, kind, benevolent, to grant forgiveness, to pardon, to give, to give graciously, give freely, bestow, to forgive, graciously to store one to another, preserve one person in peril. Look at the aphemai definition, to set free, let go, to release, to discharge, or to liberate. And what does it mean to liberate? To liberate something means to release it from confinement. So what, we would, need, so what would we need to be aphemai from, or liberated from? Sin, right? Isn't sin confinement, or a better term, bound? Doesn't sin bind us? Doesn't it hold us captive? So we're asking God for forgiveness, Aren't we asking him to release us or liberate us from bondage? Did God cause the bondage? No. What caused the bondage? Sin. And whose sins? Our sins, right? But now because we have a God who, as John says, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, we are released or liberated from our bondage. But it still doesn't explain why there's a condition to forgive others before we can be forgiven. If it specifically says that in Matthew 6, 15, right? But if you do not forgive others, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I love how Nathan Jane puts it in his paper, forgiveness versus liberation, the two types of forgiveness in the Bible. He inserts the Greek in these verses and look at what we get. And that's up there. But if you do not release aphami, others, of their offenses, your father will not be able to liberate, aphemai, you from yours. John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful just to liberate, aphemai, 
us our sins, and that will cleanse our consciousness. Does that paint a different picture? Does it change how God is portrayed? Yes, because it shows unless we forgive, unless we confess, God who grants free will is not able to grant us forgiveness that we are seeking. You might be saying, wait a minute, what you are, what you are saying is forgiveness conditional. That doesn't jive with what we are taught about God already forgiving us before we even ask. But isn't that what Chuck Smith was saying, right? Does God forgiving me depend upon my forgiving another? And if so, is then forgiveness dependent upon works? And so you have that naughty theological problem. But remember our Greek word used for forgiveness in the Bible. We looked at ephemai, but now let's look at charizomai. Remember the definition. To give graciously, to freely bestow, to forgive, to restore one another. Do you see the common theme to this? It may have something to do with the root word of charizomai, which is charis. Charis means grace. And what does grace mean? Unmerited favor. Does this help us with our naughty theological problem? Yes, right? Because grace is unmerited favor. And then do I have to do anything to get it? No. Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Put away from you all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and wrangling slander together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Now let's put the Greek in it. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, charizomai, give freely and graciously, which equals unmerited favor, one another, as God in Christ, charizomai, give graciously and graciously unmerited favor, you. Another verse, Colossians 2, 13 through 14. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now with the Greek. Let's see. Let me change it. Sorry. I'm going to have to just read it because it's not changing on there. So you'll have to see my smiling face as I read it to you. When you were dead, your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He charizomai, gave free, freely and graciously, which is unmerited favor, us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. What does it say about how many sins, what does it say how many of our sins are forgiven? What does it say? It says all. Even better, the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, has been canceled. It's, the, it's one thing to be forgiven, but doesn't sin have a debt or a price? What is the price? It's death. And has that price, according to this verse, been paid? Yes. And how was it paid? It was nailed to the cross, right? Remember what Jesus said on the cross. In Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Let's put it with the Greek. Father, charizomai them. Give them grace, unmerited favor, because they do not know what they're doing. Some of Jesus' last words were a request of the Father for forgiveness. He's in excruciating pain. He's dehydrated, weak, almost to the point of death. 
And what is he concerned about? The people that put him up there. And we could take it a step further. He was praying for the people that literally put him up there, but who also put him up there? You and me. Our sins, which was punishment, a penalty of wage that has graciously forgiven by it being nailed to the cross. That's unbelievable. Does this now help us with our naughty theological problem? Does God forgiving me depend upon me forgiving another? In the parable, who did the slave owe $6 million to? The king. And the slave who owed the $25, who did he owe? The other slave. Breaking it down, the king represents God and the slave represents us. The dollars represent sin. So using the dollar value as a measurement, we see that people's sins against each other are tiny compared to our enormous sins against God. Which is probably why forgiveness of those sins is in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts, which are in the millions, and while you're doing that, because of that great grace, that unmerited favor, we will forgive the few dollars that somebody owes us. Let's look back at 35 in Matthew 18, the last verse in the parable. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What part of the body does it say to forgive them from? The heart. And why the heart? Because that's where love lives. Let's look at Luke 6, 27 through 36. Guys, if you could change that as I'm reading it, that would be great. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as as your Father is merciful because God wants us to rise up higher than our earthly sinful character and adopt his character, character, which is what? Love. And does love hold grudges? Does love look for revenge? No. What is one of the characteristics of love? It forgives. If I am loving my enemies and doing good to those who hate me, if I am blessing those who curse me, and if I'm doing all the things that this verse is talking about, do I need to worry about whether or not I'm forgiven? No, because I've accepted the forgiveness that was afforded to me at the cross. And in doing so, because of my love for Jesus, and accepting him as my Savior, allowing him to take residence in my heart, I can have the insurance that the debt has been paid. If we don't forgive, it's not that God still hasn't forgiven us. We've established that forgiveness is always there, right? It's that we cannot accept the forgiveness because our hearts cannot accept that we have been forgiven. We sin because we, we, 
We sin, but because we don't have the for- a forgiving heart, we think there's no way that I can be forgiven for this. So the aphemi, the liberation that would have taken place, is now replaced by guilt, which then begins to grow and eventually becomes torment. This would match verse 34. And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So the millions of dollars of debt remain, which is our sin against God. We are put in prison, so there's no way to repay the debt. This sounds like what? This sounds like hell. And what is hell? Hell is the eternal separation from God, which leads to what? It leads to death. This makes sense why Jesus, the source of life, tried so hard to communicate the consequences of not having a forgiving heart. Jesus is teaching us there are so many benefits to forgiveness besides the release of our sins against God. What's interesting is the secular world has been looking at this to the point that they've done scientific studies over the past few decades and have found many benefits to forgiveness. Here's some compelling ways forgiveness is good for us, our relationship and our communities. I found this study from the uh, Greater Good magazine of scientific-based insights for a meaningful life. And they're going to be up on the screen. Forgiveness makes us happier. So research suggests not only that happy people are more likely to forgive, but that forgiving others can make people feel happy, especially when they forgive someone whom they feel close. Forgiveness protects our mental health. People who foster forgiveness experience greater improvements in depression, anxiety, and, and hope than those who don't. Forgiveness improves our health. When we dwell on grudges, our blood pressure and heart rate spike, signs of stress, which damage the body. When we forgive, our stress levels drop, and people who are more forgiving are protected from the negative health effects of stress. Studies also suggest that holding grudges might compromise our immune system, making us less resistant to illness. That's pretty important during these times right now, right? Forgiveness sustains relationships. When our friends inevitably hurt or disappoint us, Holding a grudge makes us less likely to sacrifice or cooperate them, which undermines feelings of trust and commitment, driving us further apart. The studies show that forgiveness can stop this downward spiral and repair our relationships before it dissolves. Forgiveness is good for marriage, most of the time. (laughs) Spouses are more forgiving and less vindictive are better at resolving conflicts effectively in their marriage. Forgiveness boosts kindness and connectedness, People who feel forgiving don't only feel more positive towards someone who hurt them, they're also more likely to want to volunteer and donate money to charity, and they feel more connected to other people in general. Forgiveness is good for kids and teens. Kids who are more forgiving towards their friends have a higher well-being. Training can help adolescent people, girls or boys who have been bullied decrease their anger, aggression, and delinquency while increasing their empathy and improving their grades. Forgiveness is good for the workplace. Employees are more forgiving, are also more productive, and take fewer days off, partly thanks to the reduced stress around the relationship. And practicing self-forgiveness, as on the study, tend to have better physical and mental health. Forgiving ourselves may also improve our relationship. I'm putting a disclaimer on the last one. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I agree that we need to seek self-forgiveness, but I don't agree on how we go about doing it. Amen? I find it interesting that after decades of research, they found all these benefits, what they could have saved themselves a ton of time if they just followed the verses we looked at, as well as the two greatest commandments, right? Which is what? Love, your, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and, as your, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Doesn't that just sum up everything? So everyone 
in the Christian world and everyone in the secular world agree that forgiveness is really important. We agree in principle, but are we practicing it? How many people are praying for Derek Chauvin right now? For those who don't know, Derek Chauvin was the officer that put his knee on George Floyd's neck and killed him. Reprehensible act, right? Deserves the maximum amount of punishment under the law. But remember what Matthew, when in Matthew 44, 5 says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on evil and, and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. Isn't Derek Chavin God's child? Didn't Jesus die for him? Doesn't Jesus want him in heaven? If forgiveness is sought, should it be granted? We don't like it that God loves these people. We especially don't like it that God forgives them. Yes, we're sinners, but they're the really bad sinners, and therefore they deserve a much bigger punishment than we do. So you're saying I'm supposed to forgive the person that molested me. I'm supposed to give the person that beat me. I'm supposed to forgive that person that cheated on me. I'm supposed to forgive a cop that killed a defenseless man. The answer to all those questions, as hard as it sounds and even harder to do, is yes. But the forgiveness is not for them. It's for you for all the reasons that we mentioned. We must forgive because the only way to find true peace. Forgiveness was displayed on the cross. He didn't have to do it. He did it because he loved you so much. And he couldn't bear not having you with him. He forgave and continues to forgive you. Are you willing to receive it, knowing that the only way to truly receive it is to give it? Father, again, we can never thank you for what you've done for us. You've paid our debts, all the charges against us have been dropped. Lord, we can never thank you enough for that. We thank you for your constant love. May we exhibit your character. May you dwell in our hearts. May that shine out during these times. May we give us the strength to pray for our enemies, to give forgiveness to those who've committed unspeakable acts against us, knowing that you love them just as much as you love us. Learning about that, Father. Teach us about that. Teach us to love those people to show them grace that you show us. This world, Father, this world so, has become so bad, continues to get worse, Lord. May we continue to rely on you, Father. Be at the center of everything. Go with us this week. Be with everyone listening. And be with those who haven't, weren't able to listen, Father. We thank you so much and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.